This show is distributed by SoundCloud. Welcome. Welcome to episode 191 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Hello, Mr. Roberts. How are you doing today? Doing doing well. So you were watching Captain America. Is that why you had to put the show off for half an hour? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I haven't actually seen the entire thing yet. I'm, I'm slap bang in the middle of it, so I, don't, I can't imagine what could happen. <laughs> it's actually pretty good. I, I kind of enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, of course, Captain America is one of my favorites. Captain America and um, Iron Man were my two favorite. Or they still are my two favorite superheroes. So Stark's dad's in Captain America, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So Stark's dad, Tony Stark, who is Iron Man, his, uh, his dad was the one, I guess, who created the super soldier serum or whatever. This, I guess, uh, yeah. No, I don't, think we, I don't think it was quite that. But his dad's in there, he, but he didn't actually invent the serum. We didn't? No, I can't remember. some other German guy. Oh, was that Red Skull or the guy who... No, Red, Red Skull, Skull was the first, the first guy who was injected by the serum from the, from the German inventor. Okay, it looks like I need to watch this thing again. <laughs> <laughs> or I need to use the memory hole. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's funny, it's funny that you mentioned that because um, I watched uh, Thor this morning with Colby. He, uh, I, I, took, I took Colby to see um, the Avengers last weekend. We rode our scooters up to the Arclight and watched it and because uh, he had just been just asking nonstop to see it and uh i realized you know he had seen um he had seen the uh iron man the first two iron man movies or the only two iron man movies but he hadn't seen thor and i said i should we, we should see that right and he's like yeah yeah so finally realized it was on the roku so this morning we watched it did you um, did you uh, think that uh, you looked like thor <laughs> I kind of do, actually. <laughs> Colby, Colby goes, he goes, you're Thor. I'm like, you think I look like, I, I go, you think I look like Thor? He's like, no, you are Thor. I'm like, All right. If you want to believe that. <laughs> yeah. On the side, I've got this filming project. <laughs> yes. That's my other project. I'm the God of Thunder. Mm. Uh, but uh, I, Thor isn't nearly as good as, um, as Iron Man or Captain America. I don't think that was the weakest. Yeah. Weak- yeah, I was I was discussing that with Georgie. Like, what, what why is it that Captain America, that um, of of all of the Avengers, which do people watch most? And it's definitely going to be the Stark. And I guess it's because he has everything. He's kind of he's cocky. He's got the cars. He's got the swagger. But he's also got cool tech. So and he's got money, right? So he's he's more interesting than any of the other characters. Well, he is the he is the most fun personality, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a smart ass. He's funny. He's a rule breaker. He's brilliant. I mean, he's just, he's just, he's, he's, a, he's your protagonist, but he's not like your typical straight man protagonist. I mean, your protagonist, I'm sorry, your protagonist is usually kind of like your everyman, or at least they're sort of, a, they sort of have a vanilla personality. Yeah. I'm um, like Captain America. I mean, he's just like, Mr. Straight Arrow, you know, we got to go get those bad guys. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, Stark is just kind of the antihero. And, uh, you know, one reason I like him. I like it the fact I like the fact that uh Colby's seen the, the movies because it makes the engineer the scientist seem like a total badass. <laughs> yeah, it's right? true. I mean, you you see sc- schools all the time are like they try to do things like science is fun, math is fun. And you have this like, you know, 50-year-old middle-aged 
frumpy math teacher goes, math is fun. Like that's going to make a, some, you know, 15 year old kid want to study math. Mm-hmm. Show him Iron Man. <laughs> I'm like, you want to, you want to have cool tech like that? You want to be able to build stuff like that? You know, that, that's the, 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 the ticket to be able to even think about those things is, you know, is, is physics and quite a few math. people were interested in your, your idea, uh, to create the new, um, maths and science academy. Did you do any more thinking or anything else about it since the last yeah, time we spoke? I've been kind of obsessing over it. <laughs> uh. In fact, when um, Sustain and I went to see uh, Prometheus last night, mm-hmm. which we should talk about, but let's make that the last segment so that for anyone who hasn't seen it, it, it won't be a spoiler. Okay. And we'll, that we'll just give everybody a warning. Sorry, this is it. <laughs> Stop listening if you don't want to hear about it. So when we were at dinner, I was kind of, I spent some time telling about it and you know, um, the, the, I have, I'm, I'm working on a blog post. I'm sort of collecting uh, links. I'm collecting um, lots of uh, supporting data, supporting research papers and stuff about how to, how to do something like this. Mm-hmm. And the, my working title for the post is going to be a blueprint for the ultimate math and science academy. Yeah. And it's kind of like if you merge like um, sort of a club sports program with like Boy Scouts, but made it for like, you know, cutting edge math and science for kids age, say, you know, 12 through high school kind of thing. So yeah, people seem to think it would be cool because I think, I think a lot of our listeners are of that type, right? They're people who love math and science and computers and electronics and robots and, you know, everything in between. And you kind of, if you were lucky, you had like one friend who was kind of into it. Yeah. Right. And, or, but usually you just kind of read about it on your own you know you kind of check out books from the library or play around with little experiments on your own and it was sort of a solitary lonely experience you may or may not have been lucky enough to have a teacher who noticed your interest and would attempt to support you in it and kind of mentor you along but usually it was just sort of a solitary thing and if you could have like a place to go like a, like an open lab that had all these other people and that kind of supported and pushed and encouraged you i think that would be really exciting well a lot of our listeners have kids too yeah, well, once you have kids and you really start thinking about that, you're like, holy mm-hmm. crap, my kid is really good at this stuff and really likes it. Now what do I do? <laughs> like, I don't want them to just have, you know, fall into the same sort of lonely track that I was on. Now, you know, and, and, and uh, actually, um, Rob Welling sent me an email about that because apparently his kid's a lot like Colby. He's like five and is like, you know, really good at like electronics and things. And he's just like, said he was just like nodding along going, yep, yep. <laughs> Oh, awesome. <laughs> because there's two things you feel about it. One, you're like really excited because your kid has this sort of talent and interest, which, and it's probably something you're interested in. I mean, it was something I'm interested in. It's something that, it's the kind of stuff that Rob's interested in. But then you're like, holy crap, what do I do about this? Like, this is going to require more work. <laughs> what do you think <laughs> of, of, like the, of uh, some of the comments? For example, Daniel Duan, who's saying, I think Jason should open source the Super Science League for kids. Yeah, yeah, no. So I think absolutely. You know, I I, I didn't want to talk too much about it on one show because I didn't for people who aren't interested. I didn't want to go on for like a half hour about it. But yeah, the idea would be that you'd create something that would be I would create like sort of a a, a version for Pasadena, mm-hmm. and then but I would have a lot of web stuff to sort of facilitate it. So like each kid would have their own web page of list of their projects and lab notes and things like that. So, and they would get like uh, badges or certificates, like every time they, you know, 
let's say you do something with astrophysics and you go level one astrophysics badge and you do this project and you would have your project on your web page and your lab notes along the way and maybe a presentation. And so all the other kids involved, not only in sort of like your you know, city or little group, but in other cities around the world could use it. And you could have like everybody's notes and ideas and how we did certain experiments and how we built certain robots and things like that. It could really grow. And I think it's awesome. Yeah, it's a huge project though. I mean, it's it's not like some little thing where you you just kind of dip your toe in, especially when you're talking about kids. I mean, if you're going to do it, then you need to do it. I mean, mm-hmm. if you do right by the kids. And, you know, um, my wife, Sandy, she, um, she's currently the president of Pasadena Junior League, which is this big nonprofit. And so she knows a lot about <laughs> what it's like to, you know, get a bunch of people involved and make things happen in a community, especially volunteer type of things. And uh, she just said, look, you know, I mean, this is like a really great thing to do, but she's like, are you sure you want to do it? And I said, well, I do, but I said, I think it's something that I can kind of um, leg into over the next couple of years. I mean, Colby's only going into third grade and he was my primary motivation for getting something like this going. So I figure that by the time he's sort of in fifth, sixth grade, that's when I'd really like to if I'm going to do it, have this thing really start moving. And so at least that gives me a couple of years to kind of pick up some momentum and pick up some pace maybe. And uh, one idea of getting into it is that, um, as I mentioned, Colby had placed into this, um, the gifted and talented program. Mm-hmm. So it's like a handful of kids per grade or something like that. But it, it, it's, it's really, it's not much just going on. It's kind of dead. So I'm, maybe I'll get involved with that and use that as sort of a launch pad, like kind of get, kind of help volunteer and get that thing pushed to the next level. And then, then that'll allow me to sort of connect with some other parents and some of the kids and say, okay, let's, let's, let's go not to the next level. Let's go three levels beyond this. Let's think really big. Hmm. So, so yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm kind of, uh, <laughs> kind of obsessing about it. I've got like 20 or 30 links on different types of learning studies that have been released over the years that I had kind of remembered and, and, and just sort of like when I make my arguments about how things should be done, how you get kids excited about stuff and how you get kids to do amazing things and love what they're doing. And, you know, it's like, okay, I don't want to just say these things. I'm going to say, okay, here's this study and here's that study. And this is what MIT is doing. And this is what, you know, whatever. So yeah, so I'm working on it. So I'm, I, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what my, my, my um, timeline is on it. Cause I don't, uh, you know, I may just write like an initial sort of uh, like a like a blog post about it. Say this is what I'm thinking about doing, and use that to get some feedback and maybe get some interest, and then uh, start working towards it in the next couple of years. So, um, awesome. so speaking of uh, feedback, I uh, you got some good feedback on your solo interview. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Um, yeah, I was happy about that. I mean, I was I was obviously a bit nervous about it, um, but. You know, I mean, I'm good. I'm I'm good at asking questions. Uh, so I just I just basically wrote out like a hundred questions that I could pick from. <laughs> <laughs> so if ever the conversation went dull, I just picked a question. Oh, and what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And um, yeah, seemed seemed to work out good. Um, I really um, Ted had a really interesting thing at the end of it, which is like, yes, this is worth the price of admission. Which is how he's experienced that the more that they've absorbed the customer's risk, the more money they've made from, from that aspect. Like basically it not necessarily the more money they've made, but each time they've absorbed the customer's risk, it's worked out really well for them. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, uh, I, I listened to the first. I've only listened to the first like fifteen minutes of it so far, but it was uh, it was really good. Um, of course, I know um, uh, Ted and Harry from um, from Microconf, so I've heard their story a couple times. And, yeah, we've uh, we, yeah we've heard that story a few times. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so the other thing I know you're good at is editing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Let's get to full disclosure on this one. <laughs> So you uh, you spent a fair amount of time editing that together, so it was really zippy and clean, right? I did, I did. Um, I yeah, but that you know, I do that on I do that on all shows, but uh, certain but you shows. Didn't that fine. <laughs> you didn't do that, right? Well, just... well, <laughs> what's oh, so okay, so the solo, so the solo. Well, I don't really need to because um, I mean, you you know, if there's if there's any empty air, you fill it right so that's that's what editing is editing is just making sure that the show goes on right so i'm just i'm just chopping out the empty air so me ted and harry none of us are particularly like we're you know we're all kind of laid back so there's a there's a lot of empty air in the real interview but then once it's edited down it's it's like fast and and moves forward very fast but you don't need to do that because you feel empty air (laughs) i can't stop talking (laughs) (laughs) you are the space that fills the vacuum and (laughs) <laughs> I am the vacuum. <laughs> yeah, well, that was good. I, well, how did you feel about doing a solo interview? Yeah, I thought it was good. Um, I thought it was good. Uh, I'm not sure who to go for next. Um, well, what I mean is, did you enjoy it? I mean, I mean, uh, how did you feel about it in comparison to when we've done interviews together? Did you like it more or, le- or not like it as much? Or what were the differences for you? I think that, um, you know, when we do... When we do the interview together in a way it's kind of the best of both worlds because i can kind of butt in right mm-hmm. when i want to say something but then i can just kind of sit back as well um i think it's a little bit more responsibility doing you you know doing a, a show on your own so yeah, well, it, it costs you a lot more it co- required a lot more effort from you because you had to write down all these questions which you normally when we do interviews together you i tend to do a lot of the research and you just do some light research and then jump in. Oh, I never do any research. I just listen and then speak whenever I feel like saying something, (laughs) which would not be possible if I, you know, on a show, on a a thing like that with um, (laughs) Ted and Harry. Well, you're like the audience question. Like what would the audience be asking? (laughs) I am represented from the audience. What the hell are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah. So it sounds like it's probably a little easier in the sense that you have the floor so you can time your questions and you don't feel like you have to, but in, but it requires a lot more work and it's a little more pressure. Yeah, it but it's of- good. It's not. It's, it's good. It's not too bad. Um, I mean, I I think the thing is, is I'm more into the entrepreneurial interviews than you are, right? You you want to do kind of other weird stuff, um, but I'm I'm happy doing entrepreneurial stuff as well. Weird stuff. <laughs> well, I, you know, I like a lot of stuff that is sort of is sort of tangential. Whether it's like, you know, high frequency trading or, uh, you know, like the synthetic biology, which we might talk a little bit more about, or, you know, just things that are just uh, in the whole world of sort of, I just sort of in the, the uh, sphere of interest of sort of the hacker news crowd. Um, you know, I, 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 so I like to follow up on stuff like that. I, I'll, just, I'll just like, something will, will get my interest, will pique my interest for a while, and I'll just be really into it and researching and reading about it, and then I'll want to talk to people about it. But, um, you know, and, and, but I think you, you're, you tend to be more, um, pragmatic about your interviews. You're like, I'm trying to launch this product. I want to understand some, my, some better ideas about how to do X, Y, and Z. And, or I want to hear someone's story that might be similar that I can learn something from. 
Well, actually, I do really want to interview this guy called Mark Dancy, who um, goes around testing free energy claims. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be interesting. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I guess I do have a little bit of tangential stuff myself. But um, yeah. Anyway, no, I think it's I think it's a good mix. Yeah, it's a good mix, and sure. people can pick and choose. So, um, well, cool. I, I thought you did a good job. So, well, thanks very much. Um, well, you've done a good job on both of your solo ones, so that's good. Have I done two? Who did I, I did the the Facebook one? You did Facebook uh, J Headlands Technologies, James Thomas. Right, right. That's two. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those are, those are pretty well. So I, I, I think um, you know I, I think I think the solos work out pretty well. I think it allows us to. Uh, to scale a little more because it's, you know, it doesn't require us to be on both interviews. So I can, if you're doing one during the week, I can take a break and I can just focus on, you know, my, my normal responsibilities and vice versa. Cool. But, um, so talking about, um, your stuff during the week, how are all of your different projects going? So how is App Ignite going? How is Uber going and how is any food going? Actually, it was funny. This Friday, I was kind of stressed this week. I got behind an Uber, and sometimes it just happens that way. You just, or at least it's me. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of a, uh, uh, I kind of code in fits and spurts. So I'll yeah. get really productive for a few days, and then I go. Sometimes I'll go two, three days, or even a week where I just don't seem to get as much done as I should, and uh, and then I get really stressed out, and then I go into a a coding <laughs> sprint again. And I got that way with Uber. Like I just, I don't know, some stuff didn't get. I, I kind of, my dev environment got screwed up again. I was having a hard time getting, making progress. And then finally I got it up and hacked around it. And then I was cranking again. So what was great is on Friday, I finished and delivered a whole bunch of Uber stuff, which, oh, um, yeah, which was, which felt really good. And um, I know Curtis, who's the VP of engineering, he was really excited about it. So that was cool. It's great to finish out on a Friday afternoon. You're like, sweet. Like you're going to cross the finish line. <laughs> you're like, all right, <laughs> nice. I can be completely stress-free over the weekend. And I'd also helped a friend of mine out. Um, I still, I haven't asked him if I could talk about it on podcast, so I won't, but um, he's, he, he's, uh, his company was in the Y Combinator, most recent Y Combinator batch. Oh yeah. And uh, he needs some cross uh, platform code written. And I wrote him, I wrote a windows app for him that had to communicate with a, uh, a, a sort of a C, uh, a, a win 32 C library. Hmm. So he he just said emailed me some a seek uh, uh, just one file of seek functions and some structs and things that were passed in as pointers and he's like I, I need to have this this is what needs to be called from Objective C and and Cocoa on a Mac and .NET or whatever on uh, Windows and on and, and and of course done the same thing on um, Linux and so I'm like how the hell what's the best way to do that and it was kind of building the Windows app was like an hour and a half right so it was a night it was because i told him i said I'm, i'll just do it for you you know this is a big deal and it was fine because the hour and a half of developing the windows app was like 45 minutes and then after i talked to him maybe another 30 or 45 minutes of just adding a few more things that he had wanted but it was getting the interface dot uh, net with with uh native code it just which is can be kind of tricky, and uh, I, there was two paths. Which is one is writing like a C plus plus managed C plus plus DLL, and the other is writing and, and, and having that communicate with a .NET uh, application, mm-hmm. and another is writing a just a straight up Win32 C DLL, and then having the .NET C sharp code call into those entry points, and that's the way it ended up going. It ended up being the easiest way, and once it was kind of funky because this isn't done a whole lot. <laughs> 
or at least there's not a whole lot of documentation on the web. It's kind of esoteric, and there's just little bits and pieces you have to pick up. But once you got a, once I got it working, it was pretty pretty slick. Yeah. So that he could he could have this one file, his 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 normal code, and and he doesn't have to do any decoration of or do anything to make it work as a DLL because there's like a another um, file that kind of serves as sort of like a with is sort of like a uh, the entry points that then yeah. call the C code. So it was everything he wanted like. You know this one, this one standard C file, and then just hit a recompile, and it's all done. Oh, and, nice! And he, so he's gonna because he wants to be able to write a build script that can build these uh, these Objective C .NET and Linux apps all automatically, okay. which I think will be pretty cool. So that I got that, and so I got that done too. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like you you commit to doing something for somebody, you tell somebody you're gonna do something, and then it kind of turns into be a real pain in the ass. And you're just like, oh, like I can't bail, right? I told him I'd do it. <laughs> so I got to do it. And, uh, but, you know, I got it done. And, uh, you know, was, that was that felt good. So I finished both of those on, um, on Friday afternoon. So that was really a big relief. And then um, Epic Night, I don't know. Epic Night was a weird, it was a weird week. I can't, we got, I think a little, little bit earlier in the week, not a ton because um, Guyon had a few, he, I think he wasn't feeling well on a couple of late nights at work, so we didn't get a ton done. Hmm. And uh, Anyfu, I got the, I've, yesterday I fixed um, a problem with the, um, uh, what was it, the, uh, Right, the country codes. So, like you know, you know our payout system through Webmaster Checks. Yeah. Well, we have a cron script that runs every morning at six a.m. and it loops through and finds out. You know, has Stripe is is it eight days since Stripe has been received the money and therefore it should be in our bank account and therefore we can pay it out. Well, I was setting the country for some reason. I had the country for Lance and Joanna, who both live in Victoria, British Columbia, as United States. <laughs> so that yeah. was. And I think that's because of that was a bug in the dashboard, the expert dashboard of registration stuff. And that's all been fixed. But for some reason, I forgot that the country and location is all part of the payout preference table. Because as an expert, you can have more than one payout preference. Oh, of course. Yeah. And, I, and, and those were still set to the United States instead of Canada. And uh, so I went and fixed all that, and then uh, and and oh, and uh, also fixed in the um, in the cron scripts to pull from that table, pull from that model object, and so I got all that fixed up and committed. So that was good. So I got quite a lot of um, any food done. A lot of the things that I've been putting off, um, especially the copy pages this last week. So I got the how it's how it works page done, which is a pretty brief um, description on how it works. Um, I got the privacy policy done. And got the terms of use and user agreement done, which is the the monster. Um, but yeah, it's done, and uh, you you'll need to check through all of those. But I don't think you need to check through them with a kind of perfectionist aspect. Just check through them, like read through them, and just see does that make sense? Is that something we should say? <laughs> yeah. Basically, sign off on it that way, because otherwise, it could it could turn into just a it could be a can of worms if you were to get into it in a real fine tooth comb kind of a way. Well, if, I, if you were s- sitting right here, I'd give you a big pat on the back. Oh, that's very kind. <laughs> nice <Thanks>. job. <laughs> that is like un. Uh, what's that? The, that is just not the most fun work to do. So I'm, I appreciate you getting that done. So that's awesome. I yeah, I did a pull and I, I looked at it. I glanced at it locally. I haven't gone through it. So I was thinking what I was going to do is just print them out and uh, go through them with a pen and see if I find any any issues or whatever. But um, we need to actually do a deploy, I think. We yeah, have to well, 
you know, but by no the way, like if you need to change them, like no need to run it past me. Just make any changes you see fit and just just go for it. Um, yeah. yeah, we do need to do a deploy because we've got a lot more new stuff. So what? So what do we have uh, left to do before we can start bringing more experts on board? Okay, so the, there's there's two things. My my next two big things, which I'm gonna try and do some today, and I'm gonna do good pushed next couple of days is the the uh, email system because the email system had moved over to SendGrid's proprietary I see. email yeah. system and our system is kind of using three separate <laughs> libraries uh. and some is HTML and some is text this is kind of whacked and I want to just get that fixed because we keep getting like system alert emails that are kind of screwed up if you, if you noticed yeah that yeah, so I just want to get that fixed. And the other, and the last thing, and the really big thing, the real blocker is the uh, expert dashboard. Okay. So I think I think I'm guessing that the email system is like four hours, and I'm think the dashboard is like six, four to six. Hmm. Okay. Then, so, but, so are you thinking that following weekend we should have stuff wrapped up? I think that's a good. I think that's a really good uh, estimate. I think that gives us a nice uh, little bit of breathing room. And yeah, we should have that done. Um, what would you like I, me to do do this week? Well, I think one thing you already did, but I didn't, you've already completed, but I don't think you added it, was the how it works link. It's not in the footer or the header. Oh yeah, it is. Well, I did a poll and I'm not seeing it. Huh, that's weird because it, it's, it's in the header. Maybe it's, maybe it's not in the logged in header. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, and we it's, in the log, it's in the footer. logged out header. Uh, and, and and maybe do the footer. Okay, sure. But that's only going to take me half a second. Like, what, do you have any any other thing that's like a larger uh, thing? I don't know. Um, maybe there is that. Well, we have the task list, so I don't know. Maybe okay, take a look at enough. that. Sure. We can go through it. We'll do a planning session. Yeah, do a planning session. Okay, so, um, but I think I, you know, I got that uh, comment from Nethy, and he had kind of was like, "It's like, man, I thought if it was a bigger deal, you guys seem to be taking a slow pace. I'd get going on it." And yeah. I think he's right. So I was like, yeah, we need to push a little harder and get this thing done. I think once we get this last little bit done, then we can really get on the experts because we see, we keep sessions, keep going through. Yeah. And we really haven't got made any effort getting, we've, we haven't gone past the test phase, you know, we it's haven't really about tried getting experts. We just have to do that. And that's something that we need to do, to do together. I think as well, like we've been doing the work that we've been doing. Yeah. Well, it's about getting experts and then it's about like, you know, working on just, firing up the promotion. I mean, we got like four or 500 people on the email list. We've never emailed them once and said, Hey, you know, check us out. This is what's going on. We've haven't even written any blog posts or tried to do anything. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, we, we haven't, we haven't even done a half-assed effort. We were, we just been kind of in like semi stealth, you know, a test phase. Yeah. So once we get and actually really start to push things, I think we could, um, I think we could get to, there's enough sessions that it'll be a little more motivating from a financial standpoint. Cause right now it's, we're just, you you don't think oh I need to do this so I can make some more money next month. You're just like I need to do this because we we committed to doing this and we should get this to the next stage. But if we get it to point where it's like rather than like three sessions a week, we get and get three sessions a day or something. You're like okay, now it's like getting a little more serious. It's real money. Yeah, it starts. I mean, it's not a lot of money, but it's it's you know it's real. And uh, I I think we just gotta you know we just gotta push the next step. So um anyway, so uh, you wanna move on. Sure. So I, one thing that was kind of um, funny, I, I, had a, uh, I had a really big Hacker News comment. Oh, did you? 
yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You did a big comment, or you you did a comment that a lot of people liked. Yeah, I did a com- I I wrote a comment that a lot of people liked. So there was a um a post called "Encrypted Chat Developer Detained Interrogated at U.S. Border." Hmm. Okay, so this guy who had he was a developer for an encrypted chat application called CryptoCat. Yeah. And apparently he was held at the border for an hour or something, and they were asking him all about his, what encryption. They took his passport, and they were asking him all about what encryption algorithms he was using. And one of the guys said he had a 22 years experience in computer security, and they were really pushing him hard on the encryption stuff. And he thought it was pretty scary. Hmm. And, uh, and what was interesting is that it, well, I, I wasn't written from first person. It was some... Someone else. But how are they going to know to question this guy? I mean, what they turn on his computer and root through it, and somehow they discover that he he's writing a chat encryption system. I mean, how do they know that? Uh, you know, I think the implication. I'd have to read it again. I think the implication was something like that. They thought that they they just knew he was on like some kind of a watch list or something got it from a database. But oh, I don't. Okay. I don't know if they just. I don't know if they just asked him what he did and then started really pushing him on it. But um, what was interesting is that. The the general I, there's a lot of people who are commenting who are like oh you know this people, everyone gets detained it's no big deal this this is probably BS you know this is they basically just didn't believe this kind of thing happens right right and <laughs> and it was funny because no one was surprised no one was providing any kind of evidence one way or the other it was just all this sort of rhetorical back and forth and condescension and this and that you know it was like nobody was actually offering any data or any evidence one way or the other. That's one reason that I don't tend to like to comment on Hacker News or anywhere is because it just becomes a like, who, come, who, who, can, who can craft a wittier, more condescending remark? Right. You know, as opposed, and, and it's just, it, all it does is when I get into that kind of thing, it just pisses me off and it wastes my time. So yeah. I'm like, I just say, yeah, screw it, you know, and I don't know who, you don't know who these people are. I don't know if this guy, you know, commenting about this is, you know, is this thing, is a PhD in the field or is a first year college student who's just to be, who just happens to be kind of a good debater. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's like, who really knows what the hell they're talking about and who should I really be listening to? And, and I don't have the time to vet them and I don't have the time to vet their arguments so much. And so it just, I don't know, it just kind of seems like a waste. So anyway, but I happen to know about, I happen to know about this a little bit more. I'd, I had, I had, re- you know, we talked about the, uh, some of the coverage of the NSA stuff, the one, the Wired article. Yeah. Well, Wired articles written by James Bamford, who had written a couple of the big books on the NSA, the Puzzle Palace and Shadow Factory. And, and, uh, also, um, I had seen a thing on Democracy Now with Amy Goodman had interviewed William Binney, who's the guy who was, um, who was the primary source of the Wired article, who had, he's guy had four years' experience of running some big, you know, division, technical, division at NSA. And uh, they, they also on this interview, and this, this was a video interview. Um, this was like a round table type of thing. And it was one of the um, people was this uh, uh, documentary filmmaker named uh, Laura Poitras, I think I pronounced her. Yeah. And the other one, and she had been detained 40 times in question, had her, had her computer and notes confiscated and, and without a warrant and not returned her, all those kinds of things. It was really harassed. And they, they spent wow. a lot of time asking her about, you know, what her political opinions were of Iraq and Afghanistan. Because she wrote, her documentaries were about, um, well, they said, they said that the, was, the main one was called My Country, My Country, about the U.S. occupation of Iraq and the oath, which, is a, which was filmed in Yemen. So she was uh, kind of, you know, harassed, right? And the other one was a guy named Jacob Alco. Applebaum, and he's a computer uh, security researcher for the Tor Project. Yeah. 
And uh, he said he was detained at least a dozen times. And he goes, here's one thing he says. He goes, um, I was put into a special room where they frisked me. I was put up against the wall. Another one held my wrist. They implied that if I didn't make a deal with them, that I'd be sexually assaulted in prison. They took my cell phone. They took my laptop. They wanted essentially to ask me questions about the Iraq war, the Afghan war, and what I thought politically. So this is pretty aggressive, scary stuff. So what did you? So what was your comment on hacking news? So I said, I my comment was, unfortunately, this is not an isolated incident. And then I, I pasted in a little uh, snippet about uh, the, uh, the the Laura Poitras, and then I I put in a little snippet about this Jacob Applebaum part of which is what I just read to you. Yeah. And then I put in links to eat the Democracy Now interview and then a few uh few and it's from few specific segments to it what was interesting i got 73 upvotes became the number one comment and there wasn't a single reply hmm. <laughs> so it's just like you you that that was the definitive thing you that know? was it it was like this is not an isolated incident there was no argument there was no judgment unfortunately it's not an isolated incident here's your data bang 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 you know and i didn't just put a link i cut out the most important key piece of evidence, two of them for each of the people interviewed, and then links to all the specific parts with a video saying this is a video with a transcript. You know, it's like this, here's your info right here. And what's interesting is that the more evidence and the more specific your evidence is, you, the less you have to make like an argument. <laughs> you know, you, it doesn't become an argument. It's just like, there really isn't anything to say about yeah, it. Yeah, that, that's just the thing. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to vote with that. You know, shut up, shut up other guys. It's like, I'm not going to get an argument with, well, this happens all the time. Because if I just said, oh, well, this kind of crap happens all the time and blah, blah, then you get into this big back and forth, right? Mm-hmm. There would, no headway would be made. But if you just supply the evidence with, from a, ver- a valid source that they can verify, it's like, this is, that's pretty much it. You know, you don't really have to make an argument. It's like, and I think that happens a lot of time in like, in, uh, when you go to court and the really good lawyers have, you know, come up with really good evidence and present it in the right way. And, and the, less you, the less you have to rely on, you know, rhetorical devices to try and convince people. You just say, here's the evidence. It's pretty cut and dry. So that was kind of cool. It must, that just sucks to be, I mean, you're probably going to end up in a database given all the doom and gloom that you report on, <laughs> on texting. And you know, you know how they've got these, these things that like download all the podcasts and scan all the words. I guess I'm probably going to end up in a database just because of you. <laughs> yep, you're going down with me, buddy. <laughs> no, it's like, look, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, the thing is that I, I don't think you can. I, I think if you think things are happening in the world that are wrong, things that are corrupt, um, that you sh- and I don't think you should be afraid to point them out. Yeah. And I'm not going to be afraid to say I think this is think this is wrong i think this is illegal i think this is corrupt and i'm just gonna say it you know and uh, you know i don't uh, you know worst comes to happen is that you get harassed at the airport but the people who get harassed are people who are much further into this stuff than people like us who are just commenting about it on a podcast or blog right you know they're building tools or you know this guy um jacob applebaum he had actually he had actually spoken for on julian assange's behalf at some uh, Hacker conference. I see. So, you know, and uh, I, I don't know. I, just, just, I wouldn't uh, wouldn't worry about it. But anyway, I thought it was it was kind of a triumph of a comment to get that many upvotes. Seventy three. It just nailed it, and then not a single, not a single. That's one. like that's that's enough upvotes upvotes to get on the front page of Hacker News. They're like uh, you know up to up to spot number five. 
Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. That, that, so the, the thing got 242 points overall. I didn't even comment it until I had like over, it was like 80 or 100 points. I mean, it was like, yeah. when I put a comment, it was already, there were already, already 50 comments. So I already had to be on the more page. And it still made it to the top and still. So it's a good strategy. I mean, like, um, does, didn't, um, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, who's the, who's the guy? Not Gabriel Weinberg, but the other guy who's the, uh, Patrick McKenzie. He, he said that, uh, you know, most of his karma comes from comments. Yeah, you know, because I was sitting at, a, like, you know, at 1980-something, like, you know, uh, just shy of 2,000 points, and I have 2,056 points. Did you say, like, once I got over 2,000, then I get, like, some kind of new power, like a flag, or the, the, the you call, we call it the Hacker News slap? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should, you should get, on the, on the front page, there should be a thing saying flag underneath each of the posts. Yeah, I have that. So I didn't have that before? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I got a flag now. They should just call that bitch slap. Yeah, <laughs> they probably should. They probably should. <laughs> bitch slap this I could be wrong about that. Maybe it was there all the time, but I never saw it. <laughs> I don't know, because I was lucky. Because I, I, I saw it, and I'm like, wait a minute, was that there before? And I was, I was looking for something, because you had mentioned it. And I thought, well, maybe that's it. Because you can know. also downvote uh, comments as well. That's, that's a new thing that you get as you go up. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you not notice you can downvote comments? Let me see. Hold on. I, d- I don't know if that comes at 2000. I think that comes earlier, but. Uh, you can downvote comments now. Yeah. Sweet. With, com- with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> but how, many, how many points do you have? Uh, 2,650. No! See, you're, you're kicking my butt. You're 600 points ahead of me. <laughs> Get on my, uh, I got. Well, I haven't really submitted something in like six months or nine months. So it's <laughs> well, and and you submitted something of mine recently, didn't you? So you got quite a few points because of that. All that's no, one of our things, anyway. I and did, it's, well, it's, but it's to be honest, I've I've submitted a whole bunch of our joint stuff and got the points for it. So it's 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 not a good contest. Like my points are your points. How to? Uh, uh, no, I haven't done crap. I mean, no. The only thing that I've gotten points for, there was something called the only way to stop SOPA. That was my last thing at that point. I got 192 points for that, and that was 170 days ago. The only two things was, were, were, one was that the, you're the Yelp, how to protect yourself from Yelp's robot protection, and I got three points for that. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I got, oh, right, yeah, that was the one you submitted. Yeah, I got um, 319 for that Yelp submission. I got 79 points for the only reason my app worked was due to a slow database. Um. 59 points for uh, when we interviewed Stripe. Oh, yeah, that's a nice, that was a freebie there. Yeah, that's a freebie. 180, well, you- 180 points from how I converted my subscription st- site to PayPal from Stripe. Yeah, yeah, just a few. Yeah, see, the thing is that most of the things you got points for were things that you wrote yourself that were really good you put time into. Yeah, that's probably, you're probably right, actually. I'd say, you know, whatever, 80 to 85% of your, yeah, your real points, they're, like, they're legit points. They're not like, you know, or, or they're self-generated in the sense that you created something out of nothing, I got points for it. Um, yeah. And that's, that's the same for me. I've heard most of mine are stuff that I wrote. Um, it's interesting because you hear, I see this on Hacker News all the time where people say, oh, you know, I just start up and I write stuff and submit and it never gets to the front page and nothing ever happens. And um, I think it's tough, but I don't think people put enough time into thinking of really good hooks. Like really trying to feel for what's going to work. Like what what are the kind of thing? Not only your because it has to be a couple of things. I mean, it has to be something that you're kind of really interested in, so that you can actually put the time in making it decent. 
And uh, the second is like just coming up with a really good hook, you know, like a good title and a good spin on it. And I think people don't realize that the stuff that you does make it usually requires time. Like you just can't write something an hour and a half usually and, and, and it's going like, to do anything. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. Anyway, well, that's enough about Hacker News, but I thought that was <laughs> cool. Um, Do you see this thing called Rebutter? R-B- no, what's that? TR. Okay, so it's, it's, it's pretty much, I'd say it's about 80% the same thing of an idea I came up with where it be a browser extension. You, you probably remember when I went, once I, what's the, how do you spell it? R B U T R rebutter R B U T R.com. Okay. And it's an, it's a, um, an extension, a browser extension. So like you come to a web page, it'll kind of light up and say, is there a rebuttal that people have upvoted to this perspective on things? Is that just about, Hacker News or what? Anything. What so you could be on The Economist or you know, The Atlantic or New York Times or whatever and there'd be an article about X, Y, and Z. And, and, and rather than just taking that perspective at face and just saying, well, this must be the truth, be like, okay, here's a, re- here's a rebuttal from another valid source. Oh, from other web pages. I see. Okay, fair That's enough. Right. And it was kind of similar to what I had talked about. I think I brought this up about six months ago, which was the idea that it would be the same thing a browser extension that it would light up when you got to a page, but rather than being like a rebuttal, people could sort of mark up the page with like, okay, this is a logical fallacy, this is unsupported yeah. you know, data. And, and, but that's kind of what they're trying to do. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they're trying to achieve this same sort of thing, which is, you know, um, inject some, uh, some fact-checking some, and, and, and even just from alternate perspectives on a particular argument um but it was interesting it was just, so it was so the how, how similar it was and yeah. i think i i wrote something about it on um i think on google plus a while back and there was a, a woman who's a professor at some university in canada she contacted me about using that idea as like some kind of like they have like a senior seminar project just to come up with and she wanted to get a couple of students to do it but anyway, I, I never heard much from that. Never felt, she, she never followed up on it. But I thought it was cool to see Rebutter. It was kind of kind of similar just to see something like that come to life. Yeah. But yeah, I, I like thought, it. I thought a, 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 another cool thing to do, which, you know, I think is an idea I brought up like a year or a year and a half ago, which is the TLDR concept. So when you come to a web page and it's like, oh, crap, this is like a thousand word article. It just <laughs> like, gives you the TLDR summary of it, right? Give me like three sentences. You yeah, know? but the thing about that is then what happens is you're going to end up with a very similar scenario to like a dig or a hacker news where lots of people will submit that and they'll end up being voted, right? So you'll, you'll have also, you know, you'll have like 20 versions of a TLDR. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if you could do something kind of like uh, Stack Overflow. Like you get one that gets voted the right one or the best one and people can actually, ed- other people can edit it. Yeah. You can, it's kind of community owned. I mean, someone gets primary credit, but people can kind of, you know, can, can all join in to edit it. So, you, so there's only one. Like each page can only have a maximum of one. And once you get a certain number, a certain amount of karma on the system, you're allowed to edit. So it's more like a Wikipedia. So it's like Wiki. Well, that, to be honest, that is kind of cool. That's basically what it, the next logical step is, is a Wiki of the web. Rather than Wikipedia being centralized, it's like an uncentralized Wikipedia of the web. So... Well, just like in Highlander, there can be only one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, basically, that idea would be sort of like as if you took the concept of BitTorrent and mixed it up with Wikipedia and decentralized Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, you lost me there with decentralized. Okay. <laughs> no, but, but you know what I will say this is that um, 
first of all, I mean, it's it's not a new idea. It's what they do a Stack Overflow just to solve that problem. So, and I think that I think that was kind of uh, Jeff Atwood's big innovation was that yeah, but they don't do that for any web page. No, no, but I'm talking about like there's an answer. Someone asks a question. If somebody asks a question and there are five answers, one gets deemed the most upvotes and gets accepted as the answer by the person who asked the question. But you can jump in and, and edit somebody else's answer, make it better. Can you? I'm not, mm-hmm. so, I'm not so sure you can actually edit people's answers. Maybe there's a... I yeah, I think that. there's a threshold, I think, in karma. I don't think you have enough karma. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. Because you don't really use it that much. You don't have that much karma, right? No, no, I don't, no. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I, I had some karma, and they keep up. They kept upping the levels because I was an early user, but I never did a whole lot. So I, yeah. I, I, because I didn't, I fell below the karma levels. So I have like no, <laughs> I have no rights on the system to do anything. But I've heard them talk about that. That's possible, and you know, getting like like a question becomes or an answer becomes kind of community owned rather than like it was one person's answer. Hmm. Anyway, the point is that it would be nice that if you go on a web page. And there's stuff that you might want to know about, but you're just like thinking like, ah, I don't know if I just, I can commit to reading this whole thing. Cause I have like, there's 20 articles I'm interested in, but I have time to read like three or four. And I wouldn't mind having a little more insight into the article than say the headline in the subheading or whatever. Mm. So I don't know. I still hope someone does that. <laughs> well, that that uh, mingled with memory hole and like space learning would be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, throw it all together. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking a little bit about the memory hole. I'm I'm still going to build memory hole for myself at the very least. <laughs> yeah, and and you can use it too. I just need like a spare four hours. What's your um, e- oh, What's your ETA? <laughs> I'm not getting an ETA on that, but I I, I, right. I think about it like almost every day. Well, because here's a perfect example: that comment on Hacker News. Yeah, I mean the fact that I had I remembered that specific link, those specific interviews, and then I could use as evidence. It just it just injected facts into a conversation that was just ruled by just uh, rhetoric mm-hmm. and just a silly argument. Nobody was proving anything to anybody. And because I had the facts, it's like, this is it. It's, a, you know, and it sort of ended it. And everybody's like, oh, well, okay. I guess this isn't the yeah, isolated incident. And uh, we can think about that and look at the data. And there's so many cases like that where it's like, it, you know, and I'm sure most of the people in Hacker News or people at the show who are smart people who've read a ton of stuff, but, you know, most, most of that stuff that you read starts to float out of your brain unless it's something that you work on on a daily or weekly basis. And so you just have these vague feelings about things and you don't have specific facts, numbers, quotes, dates, so that you can say, no, this is X, this is Y, this is why this is the case. And, uh, and when you have facts like that, it just makes your thinking much sharper and it makes your decision-making better mm-hmm. you know and of course you can you can come up with better ideas because you can synthesize um information you have you have sharper more crystallized information so you can just you can synthesize uh, better ideas i think from that you okay. know so anyway I, I i really i really need to do that um i was thinking a little bit about that spaced learning so just to for people who may have not sure what that is so Space learning is not space repetition. Space repetition is the concept which is closely associated with the super memo software, yeah. where like you have a you have a curve, a forgetting curve that's kind of has an exponential fall off. And so the way super memo works is kind of like a flashcard thing. So like you're let's just say you're using learn trying to learn vocabulary words. 
that I would show you the words, a flashcard for it, like two days later and then five days later and then three weeks later and then three months later and nine months later. So right at the point that you're about to forget it. And everyone's memory curve or forgetting curve is a little different and, and it's even individualistic based on certain pieces of data. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's spaced repetition. Now, spaced learning was developed by this guy who's this uh, American, I think he's a, I think he's a neuroscience guy. And it, it, it debuted in uh, Scientific American. And basically what he, what they found is they did some, um, they did some studies with uh, these high school students where if they presented the material in like 15, 20 minutes, a 15, 20 minute chunk, and then they took 10 minutes, a 10 minute break where they would do something that didn't use that part of their brain. They could do, you know, play with Play-Doh, musical chairs, whatever. Then another 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes on the material presented a different way, like videos or problem solving sessions or whatever. Take another 10 minute break where they, where the brain thinks about something else. And then they jump back in for a final 15 to 20 minutes. I was minutes. telling Georgie about that because she's just studying for something right now and saying that she should try that technique out. She didn't, she didn't try it out yet, but uh, I, I like that. It's really interesting. It's really powerful. I mean, it's based on neuros, you know, some neuroscience research. It's not some, somebody's idea that they blogged about. It's, yeah. you know, and so they found that these, these kids that were tested in it did, um, they were able to lear, learn an incredible amount of information in an incredibly short period of time. And um, I was thinking that it would be cool to combine it with this other idea. Um, oh, and let me, I should probably present the other idea first, which is <laughs> when Go I've been collecting, I told you I was collecting a bunch of these links for this, this article, this post about the Math and Science Academy. Yeah. So I'm reading an article a couple of years ago about how at MIT they're changing the way they, they teach physics. So some of the professors there were really frustrated when they realized that how many of their students were just doing poorly in their physics class. Yeah. And this is freshman physics, but this, and this is at MIT, right? So everyone there is going to be taking physics at MIT is going to be extremely intelligent. There's no reason that they shouldn't be able to do well in a physics class. Mm-hmm. But when you have 300 people in a lecture hall and they're just kind of guy gets up and the physics physics professor gets up on the board and he starts writing out equations and running through a couple problems and it's the same crap in the book. People stop coming to class because it's the same stuff that's in the book. And so, and people just aren't really, they're just not engaged. It's not engaged and they're not getting a lot of feedback and help. And so what they did um, is they, they, they started this new concept. I can't, I think they could give a name for it, but. They they created uh, they created this big room where they would have like eleven I think it like like ten or eleven of these big round tables which would seat like seat like eight students per table, and so the, the teacher would get up and our professor would get up and spend like ten minutes talking about the base some basic concept, and then would have problems to work on and each table would work on their problems together collaboratively and they would have like some teaching assistants some TAs walking around if like a table was kind of struggling they could give some input or think about it this way or whatever and they would all kind of work together collaboratively and it turned out that that people did way better as a class than before so there was like whereas like I, you know I'm, I'm blanking on the numbers I have to look it up but like let's say that you know 20% of the people were failing now it was down to like 5% and the people who are getting C's and D's are now getting B's and the people who are getting B's are getting A's and the attendance was way up and it was just a much better way to work it was a much better way to learn. People were more engaged. They were more, they, they found it more, more fun. They were just, it just, and it kept people from falling behind because you, you know, rather than getting a problem set and then kind of, you get it back and you missed a couple of things and you're like, I, you know, and you, sometimes you get your heart, you don't really get to the bottom of your misunderstandings until it gets time to studying to this, to the midterm or final. And sometimes that's a little late. Yeah. But, uh, I thought if you combine that technique with this spaced learning, they both are kind of similar. 
You know, this idea of like you work intensely on something, it's kind of you work on collaboratively, then you take a break for a certain period of time. So I would kind of do both. I would kind of do I would do present the information, then maybe take a break for 10 minutes and then come back and then have a, you know, work on problems together for 10, 20 minutes and then take a, another 10 minute break and then do another session. So it's like a two hour class, but there's lots of breaks in between you know, kind of combine space learning with the work group. And it's funny because I always thought, every time since I was high school, I always thought that they should do like work groups. I hated sitting there listening to a teacher for, for you know, whatever it was, 50 minutes, 55 minute class where the teacher's like, you start out going over the, you kind of missed homework problems from the previous week and then they go off and they just start writing a bunch of crap on the board and you're just sitting there like falling asleep in your chair going, oh, this <laughs> so, I mean, it's just so boring and I yeah. just hate it. And, uh, I don't know. So, um, I saw a, a a new Kickstarter project which ended up on the front page of Hacker News, which I donated ten bucks to, um, called Clang. Uh, they've raised one hundred thirty-two thousand to five hundred thousand so far. They've got twenty-eight days left, and basically they're just creating a real sword fighting game. <laughs> and it's 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 just it's interesting that no one um, has created a really good. Um, virtual sword fighting game because they just haven't taken it from that perspective of how sword fighting really works. Mm -hmm. So there it's, it's an author. Um, I don't have his name to hand. Say one. Neil Stevenson. Okay. Right. He's got comic and, and Remedy and, uh, you know, this, you know, he's, he's a big deal. Um, so yeah, I I, video. Did you see the video? I, 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 it's, it was like one of those links that you kind of keep an eye on, but he's like, I'll get around to reading it, but I never did. So. Yeah, the video was just awesome because um, he's he's sitting there and it's it's him in in a like a leather chair with like library shelf behind him, and then all of a sudden he says, "Look, you know, we're really thinking about this hard." And then all of a sudden, a knife sticks through the whole shelf, and you realize, and you find out that's a green screen. And then <laughs> and then he kind of stands up and walks back, and there's about fifty people having a sword fight behind him, and it's like. <laughs> they're all trying all these different kinds of swords and sword fire and he just walks through and he's speaking to the camera and he's walking through this kind of carnage and death <laughs> it's uh, just, yeah it's that's, very funny that's cool um how, how many different projects have you have you donated to <sighs> just two just two I'm, I'm i've decided i'm gonna just donate just out of the spirit of goodwill to certain things that that pique my interest what what else, what was the other one you donated to? Um, the ability the it was a project um, human powered helicopter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so silly that if it actually worked, you'd be like, yes, I part <laughs> <Yeah>. of <laughs> that thing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was a believer. <laughs> I I think they're going to be able to do it. Oh, well, I you know, <laughs> sounds. I don't know. I I mean, you think? Well, they've that- got this massive. The, the basically the the, the con- I mean. It's it's not it's not fantasy like they've the, people have tried it before and they've managed to ho- to hover for like a, you know 10 15 seconds. You just have to hover for a minute. And and they're using this massive balsa wood wing. Like I mean when I say massive I mean it's sort of the size of a bus. <laughs> and then they and they have this uh you know peak performance athlete who will kind of pedal really fast and move this big wing round and round and round and hopefully get levitation for a minute. Well, I mean, it sounds like there's something you could work out on paper and then, you know, you, you could calculate the energy that could be generated by, a, you know, sort of a world-class a world class uh, cyclist and the amount of energy that would take to create the, a propeller that would be big enough to lift that amount of weight off the ground. It seems like you could, kind of, you could prove it 
by just doing some physics equations, and then it would just be a matter of engineering it so that it actually held together. Well, it's it's a believable team. They they've already won the human powered uh, land speed record. So, no, oh, okay. So there's not a couple jokers. There's some actually no, no, some no. competent yeah, engineers yeah. and. Uh, Okay, well, yeah, I, you know, I, I'll be interested to hear an update on that one. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll let you know. I do get update emails, but uh, oh, you, they haven't, they haven't actually done it yet. They just The emails are just more about, oh, you know, we're, we're getting our materials now. We're getting things together. Well, how much would you have to donate to get a free ride? <laughs> I don't think you do get a free ride. And anyway, <laughs> I think I'd have to lose some weight. <laughs> <laughs> that poor guy's going to be pedaling like crazy to get me off the ground. <laughs> uh, so what else you got? Uh, actually, not very much. You know what? I was in the middle of watching Captain America. Okay, <laughs> I do. Well, I do have some other stuff if you want. If you want, I, I got. Uh, I got one. Uh, one uh, big one that I'll get into. So we we'll do a couple little ones if you got. Uh, got some. Um, well, just to be honest, uh, I've got all I've got for this show, other than talking with you, is um, Plugio update, the movies I've watched because I've been on a movie marathon, and the four million dollar complaint call. All right, well, let's hear the, uh, let's, let's start out with your um, plug you update. Okay, so in this last week, I built a discount system. So that uh, it's like a time discount system. Mm-hmm. Because when we, when we mail out to the various different mailing lists, we want to be able to say to people, you can have 30% discount if you sign up within the next 24 hours. I see. So that system and fixing bugs, and I will be starting to work on a behavioral email system which kind of monitors where you're at in the process of Plugio and sends you behavioral emails, basically. So for example, if you've logged in twice but haven't done certain features, then we're going to kind of say, oh, did you know you could do this on Plugio? And with that in mind, we're also going to do like a behavioral onboarding system as well. Oh, that's very cool. Did do you, um, I, I haven't read it myself. I have it printed out and sitting in my, next to my, my nightstand to read, which is that our, it was a, from last week, I think Patrick McKenzie wrote an article, something like, you should probably be sending more email. I, I, I read the title, but I didn't read the article. Okay. I mean, and maybe that's old news, too. But I mean, that's basically, it, it's, you know, it's like the, the saying Facebook's an email company. You know, that's what it is. It's just track what your users are doing, send them emails to get them back in, keep them engaged. Yeah. Just track it, measure it. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. So, um, any... What? Any revenue updates? No, not really. Nothing, nothing interesting to, to report yet. Um, and the movies I've watched in my movie marathon are Prometheus, which we're going to talk at the end of the show. Madagascar 3, which is absolutely hilarious. Chris Rock. <laughs> Have you seen, did you see Madagascar 3? I've seen one and two a million times. Remember, I got little kids, so they watch okay. this. Number over. three is so funny. Chris Rock makes me laugh. His voice is just really funny. Um, and Real Steel. Did you see that movie with Hugh Jackman? Where he's like a he fights robots. No, is it any good? Yeah, it's good. It's it's like a father son story. Uh, basically, it's set some stage in the future. Oh, there's there's an interesting trend that I'm seeing with movies. They they they're showing like pretty high tech stuff, like Prometheus, right? Very high tech, but they're giving it a, a year of like only kind of sixty seventy years away. Mm-hmm. And it, near, it, the near the near future, yeah, the near like, but I kind of think that they're they they they're way off. I mean, take for example, Blade Runner, that's set in 2012. <laughs> <laughs> Los yeah, Angeles well, 2012. I mean, that's a little ambitious, right? Right. 
Yeah, and I think I think that they, you know, they're they're continuing that trend. For some reason, they're just pushing it too early. They should be they should be making it more like, you know, two thousand two hundred and something. <laughs> Same with Prometheus. I mean, I'm not to get. We'll, we'll push off the rest to talk about, but it was like two thousand ninety three or two thousand ninety. Yeah, two thousand ninety three. There's no way we're going to be that advanced. But oh, can I just say something? There's something I've got to say about Prometheus. Don't that, give anything away because. We're the non-spoiler. If it's not something you would um, be able to infer from the immediately infer from the trailer, then I'd say hold it. Okay, I'll hold it. Yeah, we don't want anyone. We don't want anyone uh, turning us off. All right. See, I'm protecting you, listeners. <laughs> Just right. almost ruin the movie for you. <laughs> so I also watched Journey to the Mysterious Island, which was the hell kind is that? of not that great. And I watched. <laughs> that doesn't sound very good. <laughs> it was like a two in the morning, like nothing else is it, on kind of choice. No, it was with The Rock and um, Michael Caine. My name's oh, Michael Caine. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you've got kids. I'm watching all these kids' movies. And Captain America. Captain America is probably the best of them, right? I don't know. Maybe. No, Prometheus was pretty good. No, not Prometheus. No, no. I, I'm, not, I'm not including Prometheus since that's still in the theaters. Oh, okay. Right. Of, the, of your other ones is that the would you think captain america is the best or do you I like yes yeah probably probably i think captain america is pretty good of course i watched it with uh my brother's family with like a sunday night we're all sitting around kind of watching after dinner with all the kids so that may that could have made it seem better than it was you know you're just kind of in that kind of sunday night family movie i love that actor you, you know the one who's in the matrix yes mr anderson <laughs> and he's, oh, right. he's doing the red mask guy He's funny. Yeah, the red red skull is that the yeah. the red. Yeah, he was. He's good. He's perfect for red skull. He has that kind of jaw, that mm. kind of really powerful, defined jaw that works works for red skull. Huh. That's cool. So I, I don't think I've seen anything. Well, I guess I saw this morning. I saw Prometheus. We'll talk Prometheus. So, um, okay. So I'll, I'm going to switch subjects and shoot the movie. So, um, I got a. You forwarded me this, and I think a couple other people commented about uh, there was a. Um, graduation speech at Princeton University that was given by uh, Michael Lewis and it was um, and basically I think it was it was on Hacker News something was like don't eat fortune's cookie I think mm-hmm. it was titled or something and basically he was he, he was saying that he got lucky in a way I mean he yeah he, he worked hard or whatever he said the problem is that a lot of people in the world who are successful want to believe that they're successful because they just deserve it and not because there was a lot of luck involved not to say that people didn't don't work hard for things, but you know, in most of the time there is a certain amount of luck that is in, in the equation. And I think some people were equating this with luck surface area. Although after I read this, I just read this day. I don't really think it's that similar. I mean, he's not really talking about increasing your luck surface area or anything like that. So it's not, not quite the same thing. He's just saying that luck is part of the equation. So don't, don't get to don't believe your own PR as my mom used to tell me all the time. <laughs> well, here's a question. If do you think if we if any food ends up making any money, do you believe that luck is involved? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think luck's always involved. Okay. I think I think it's there's just, there's usually fortunate things that happen along the way. And there are and, and that's also the it's the case of not of misfortunate or unfortunate things not happening. It's the yeah. case of no misfortune. I mean, because a lot of times just bad crap happens. I mean, sometimes you can have good, your good luck is just the fact that nothing really bad happened, <laughs> you know? And that's why I always think when people who, you know, start complaining about their lives one way or the other, and I think, you know, you just have to remember, like, things can get a lot worse. They can almost, they can always get worse, and a lot of times they can get a lot worse. 
And you know, you can, you know, you could walk outside and get in the car and drive the street and get a car wreck, be mm-hmm. paralyzed, killed. You could wake up the next day and uh, you know, go to the doctor and, and discover that you have terminal cancer. Your wife has cancer. You know, you get a call and say your kid, you know, got hit with a baseball and is paralyzed or what. I mean, just just unbelievably horrible things can happen, and they yeah. do happen to people. And the fact that those things haven't happened, aren't happening, you should just be kind of go, oh, you know what, <laughs> whatever it is that I'm complaining about or I'm unhappy about, it's like, is nothing in comparison to one of those things. And so anytime like something kind of... Well, that's like the Louis C.K. clips you've sent me a couple of times about people complaining about cell phones not working. And he's like, give it a minute. It's coming from space. It's going to space. <laughs> <laughs> But take it to like, yeah, exactly. You know, and people, people I, I feel the I, world owes them something. I try and remind myself of that a lot of times because I, I feel like uh, my life is really good, you know. And uh, yeah, of course, I, I, they're, you know, like I'm human like everybody else. I think, oh, you know, I wish I had more money or I wish I had this or that. But at the end of the day, it's like my life is really pretty nice. And, uh, and I think you, you appreciate it even more when you kind of can on a daily basis walk outside and go, oh man, you know, <laughs> it's like every, you know, all things, you really take everything into, in, into consideration. I've, I'm pretty lucky. Yeah. Or I'm really lucky, you know, um, because you think of like, if you compare your life to all the people currently alive now, not just people in the United States, to the six billion people in the world, I was a six or seven billion. I can't remember. I suppose however many there are. Yeah. I mean, we are in the top 1%, probably yeah. well into the top 0.1%, you know, and if you, and, uh, if you think of all the people who have ever lived, <laughs> you know, how hard of people's lives were back 100, 200, 500 years ago compared to the way we live, you know, it's like we have, we have some of the most free, freest, most uh, luxurious lives, lifestyles. And is this what you meant to be talking about after you brought up that article? Not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what he mentioned was this experiment. He, he, he talked about the article. It's an experiment that they ran. Uh, I think this is at Berkeley where they took three, they took a, uh, they got all these big group of kids and they separated them in teams of three and they put them into a room and they were all like either all girls or all guys. And then they would give them like a moral problem they'd work out and they would go in and they would sign to each group arbitrarily just picks one person and say, okay, you're the leader of this group. Okay, and then half hour into it, it one uh, someone would walk in with a plate with four cookies on it, and each of them would take a cookie. Except the leader, in every case, took both cookies, and not only ate took both cookies, but ate both cookies, and then had us very sort of like look on their face like they deserved it, like they really enjoy, it. like ah, I'm the leader, and I <laughs> I deserve it <laughs> without exception. And he's like, that was the same thing, like these people on Wall Street or whatever. It's like they have some success and they just think that they're, you know, that they deserve every bit of it. And they just (laughs) disdain towards anybody who's not in their position. And he was just sort of like, you know, it's that's it's one of the problems. People have when people have success and they forget they forget to count for luck. (laughs) And uh, one of the um, the guy who invested in uh, Prezo, um, who's a friend of mine, um, Fez, he uh you know, he was he did extremely well. Sold his company, sold his company Motorola back during, you know, the you know like '99. Made a lot of money. Was very successful, but he was always very uh, sort of self-effacing and you know saying, you know, I, I he's like, yeah, I got lucky. Yeah, <laughs> he was, I mean, he was an incredibly smart guy. He's like a postdoc at Caltech in like biochemistry or something, molecular biology, and he uh, um, 
he was an incredibly like charismatic guy, very hardworking, very shrewd. So you look at him, you go, man, this guy's a winner, mm-hmm. you know. But he he never he never really believed, bought into it. He always thought, ah, he's like, you know, I yeah, you know, I got lucky, <laughs> and everything worked out, and just got lucky. And I always really appreciated that about him. He wasn't like he was like sit there. You talk to him, and he's gonna sit there and tell you how the world works. Like, let mm-hmm. me, Jason, let me tell you, this is how the world works. This is. <laughs> Like, which is what happens. So many people I meet who have some success, they just think they got everything figured out and they're just going to tell you how it is. Yeah. I just like, it's so annoying. <laughs> but uh, that's always like, the fact that he was always humble, uh, it just really made me respect him more. Awesome. So you mentioned you had some other stories. Well, another uh, thing, another thing I've been really getting into this week, I've talked a little bit about it, but uh, I'll just do an update on it is, you know, I, t- I told you I, got, I was getting into the synthetic biology stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I've read that article about uh, Craig Venter's uh, Synthetic Genomics Institute down in uh, San Diego where they uh, synthesized the – they created the first synthetic DNA strand or fully. Like they, they sort of engineered it base pair by base pair. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, and so I was just like – I was so excited by that, just concept that you could sort of build sort of life from scratch in a sense. And um, – just the power of it. And it's funny, I'd, I'd read something not too long ago that Bill Gates had, had, he had mentioned in some interview that if he was starting out now that he would go into biology, like hacking biology would be the most, the most interesting thing to do now. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel that way. I feel like right now the biology, sort of the synthetic biology movement is about where we were in, co- in computers in like 1970, early 70s. It's really crude, really basic. Most everything that's done is inside institutions and it's outside the view of the public, and it's just very limited. But um, what's been interesting is that a lot of there's a lot of push from people inside the uh, the academic community, as well as people who are outside it, to sort of bring allow sort of hackers, in a sense, to start experimenting with the technology. So it's you know synthetic biology, or they call it biohacking. Well, I like your '70s analogy. I'm I'm wondering though, uh, is it is it, does it ring true in the sense that you can make something in your garage? Like, you, you know, like, for example, the way that uh, Apple and Microsoft was basically, they started in a garage. Could you do that with microbiology in that same way? Yeah, I think we're just about there. That's what I'm thinking. It's right at the point where, so there are, there are different groups that are getting together that are, like this one, you can now buy a, um, okay, so there's a few pieces of machinery that you need to make this stuff work easily. I mean, so one of it is like, let's say that you take, you want to get some DNA from um, some type of uh, uh, tissue or, or maybe it's from like an, an apple or banana, right? <laughs> so I want to get this, I want to look at the DNA under a microscope or, or you'd be able to experiment with it. Well, you, the way you can do it with enzymes and apparently it's, it's possible, it's extremely slow, but the, the way you, you normally do it is using a, a centrifuge hmm. and, but the centrifuges cost a lot of money. And especially the kind of ones that they call ultra centrifuges, which go, which can spin very fast and can are really good for, I guess, working with pulling the DNA out of the rest of the material. But this one guy, this one uh, uh, geneticist um, named I'd say Cathal Garvey, I think is his name. He uh, he did something where he he created a something called a Dremel fuse, where he's like a Dremel, which is kind of like a um, it's a little like. You know what Dremel is? Yeah, Dremel is like a, uh, like a drill, like a, just a, a tool manufacturer. Like a drill, a drill that used to like, uh, that has an end to it for like um, shaping things and stuff. Like, um, yeah. Whatever. So you can buy like a Dremel for like, I mean, you draw expensive ones for a couple hundred bucks, but you could probably go buy one for 30 or 40 or 
Yeah, they had lots of different types of tools, yeah. Right, right. And you, he stuck a, a, he created something with a MakerBot. You've heard those MakerBots, those like 3D printer things? Yeah. Well, that uh, could hold little plastic capsules, like, you know, like, like mini test tubes, and, and it would attach this thing onto a, of a Dremel and spin it really fast. And you can you could, you could recreate one with a MakerBot. If you happen to have a MakerBot, you can buy one for like 20 bucks. Hmm. So you can have a centrifuge. You could have like a Dremel fuse for like 60 bucks or something if you don't have a Dremel. If you have a Dremel, then you get one for like 20 bucks. And another one was this open PCR. So PCR is, are like these ways of like, say if you've got a few, few, few uh, strands of DNA that you can amplify and create, you know, a million um, strands of DNA so that it's better for, you can actually work with it. So these different tools, and I'm just still trying to figure this stuff out. You know, what, like, what is it you have to do? Like, what are the steps? Like, how would you get, like, a, like an E. coli virus, uh, E. coli bacteria, and be able to, to change and experiment with its, with its genome? Uh, but that's kind of scary, isn't it? No, because E. coli isn't like a, um, I mean, you have, to be, you have to be certain, you have to be careful to a certain degree, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's, there are certain concerns about... <laughs> Certain concerns. There's some pretty big concerns if people can like muck around with uh, DNA <laughs> for the price of a Dremel. Yeah, they call these things like bio bricks, which are these little pieces of like these little components that you can buy, like DNA components you can buy yeah. into a, genomes. So anyway, I've been just I've been doing a lot of research into it, and there's this really cool project that was done called eChromi. It was done a couple years ago, and I I think it was in it. Um, I think it was done in uh, at Cambridge. It was a bunch of undergraduate. It was a it was sort of a project that they took a bunch of undergraduates and they took an E. coli bacteria and they got these biobricks. They t- they brought got these little DNA segments that could create color. So we changed the bacteria to like red or yellow or green or blue. Yeah. And the colors came from all kinds of different organisms. So some organisms had the ability to turn blue or mm-hmm. turn yellow. And so they introduced all these things. So they had and, and into the same E. coli bacteria. And so what happened was is that you could put it in like water or something, and if there were a presence of a certain like toxin, it might turn red or it might turn blue with the presence of something else or yellow, something else or green. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, the fact that you can do all this stuff. So anyway, I've been I've been reading a lot about it. I I've been kind of giving myself a little crash course in molecular biology to understand. So what, so what are you thinking? I mean, are you going to do some uh, molecular engineering or what's it? Well, what's it's, the th- it's all I'm I'm just trying to get. I, what I would love to do is do some experiments with Colby, just like I want to do chemistry experiments and all stuff. I'm like, you know, I, I want to just see what's possible. Okay, well, don't take it too far because I don't want something like Frankenstein happening over there. Yeah, I, I, it's the thing is, is like, it's so nascent. It's so basic. I mean, I mean, just to be able to change like some kind of a microbe so that changes color or something. I mean, that's the kind of level you're talking about. But what really interests me is the thing that we had talked about, which is these, um, these simple bacteria that were able to, or fungus that was able to um, metabolize plastic. Yeah. And be able to do something like that. Be able to get like a sea algae that could metabolize plastic. Mm. That was a project that I would want to like experiment with. And well, work that, on. that would be a good, I mean, if you don't make any money through any foo, <laughs> you could make a lot of money by inventing an algae that metabolizes plastic. So I think that should be your next project. And I, I, I mean, obviously right now it's way beyond my, uh, uh, um, ability but I, i'm just trying to see how how you know how complicated the field is i mean yeah. i 
this kind of thing is like, yeah, you can go and get an undergraduate degree and get a graduate degree and spend years doing all and learning all this foundational material. But after reading a lot of the medical biology stuff, I feel like it's complicated. But if you f- if you're kind of focused on what it is you're trying to do, that you can kind of get a streamlined, you can have a streamlined learning curve or um, a reduced learning curve. You, it's sort of like, you know, you can go and get an undergraduate or graduate degree in computer science, but you can also just figure out how to build an iPhone app. In a, in, a, in a month of just experimenting and learning the basic stuff and trying to work on it, right? So you're, you're sort of wanting to create the minimum viable product within molecular biology. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get the minimum viable understanding, <laughs> minimal yeah. education. Like, what? how much biochemistry do I have to know? How much molecular biology do I have to know? How much genetics do I have to know to understand how to, say, do some of these little experiments and, and assemble, you know, or, or, or tweak the, the DNA of some um, bacteria or whatever? That's what I'm trying to understand. I'm a trainer. You should try and get someone like that on the show. Then you could kill two birds with one stone. Well, yeah, I actually, yeah, I've been, I've been doing, as I said, I've collected a lot of links. I've done a lot of reading on it already. And, um, and there's a few people I think would be really interesting to talk to. There's a guy who's, I think he runs the International Open Facility uh, for Advanced Biotechnology, Biofab is what's called. And uh, he's a, you know, he's a, I don't know, biochemist, geneticist or something. And uh, he, I, I, I listened to a couple of his talks on uh, YouTube. He might be the guy. But there's also a guy who's doing a startup called the Genome Compiler. Mm. Just pretty cool. It's a startup out of Silicon Valley. He's a biochemist, and they're they're like they created some software. It's like an Adobe Air app that you can actually download, and you can like kind of piece together your components from other um, organisms, and you can order them from companies that will send you these genetic components. That's cool. That was kind of cool. So I'm trying to figure out who would be the ideal person to talk to. I guess I guess a good business would be sort of like you you could use software. And then they would have the lab, and they could do it there in their in their kind of external lab. Yeah. So what they call they call it dry lab. So like there's dry lab work and wet lab work. So yeah. you're working. You could do all the informational stuff, and then you could have stuff sort of assembled. Kind of like how you might outsource. You might work with like SolidWorks or something to design something, and then send it off to some manufacturer that would use a 3D printer and and mail you the product. You know. Yeah, that's very nice. Possible. But I've just been getting into a lot of this sort of science stuff because I want to be able to experiment and play with it with Colby. Yeah. You know, just like I started teaching myself electronics so that I could start, we could start playing around with circuits and I could explain stuff to him. And I was like, I realized that I didn't understand stuff nearly as well as I needed to, to even explain him what the hell was going on. So, <laughs> and, and the same goes for chemistry and, you know, biology and everything else. It's like, I look back and I go, you know, I don't really remember <laughs> that much. Like a lot of times you think you remember stuff and you actually start looking at it and you're like, you know, I really, I, if I took a test on this stuff, I'd get, I'd get enough. Am I right in thinking that you have to go in 10 minutes? Uh, yeah, 10-ish. 10 minutes. Okay, we probably should start bringing up uh, Prometheus then. Okay, well, I can think, we'll see if there's, I'll just see if there's one, there might be one more thing. Um, but just in terms of the biohacking stuff, I'll, uh, I'll keep you posted. That's sort of my ongoing. I've just been kind of um, reading about it at night and just trying to build up my understanding of it. And, uh, you know, I'll give some updates. But cool. I, I think the, the one thing that's fun about having, a, ha- about having kids, and there's a lot of things that are fun about it, but one <laughs> other, and another thing is be able to say, I have this reason to learn all this stuff now yeah. and experiment with it, especially if you have a kid who likes science stuff. Then you're like, oh, I have an excuse to play around with chemistry sets, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Which I, I guess we talked about this before, but so um, there's one other thing. Oh, it's nice. Did you see there was a um, a federal judge spiked the Apple Google case? 
Yeah, I, I didn't get that. Like, it'd be good if you could go through that. I mean, I saw it, but I didn't uh, didn't quite rock it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, I guess Apple is suing Google's um, their Motorola Mobility yeah. company or whatever. I mean, they, they own Motorola. I guess they bought Motorola Mobility or something over their smartphone patents. You know, like you know, and then basically this guy called the 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 charges ridiculous and said that the that the patent system is dysfunctional. And he's actually he works. I think I think he's normally on the Seventh Circuit, uh, the U.S. Uh, Seventh Circuit of Appeals or something, which is a higher court. But he went down to this lower court because I think he wanted to render judgment on this stuff because they're saying that this patent system, this patent stuff, is just getting out of hand. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got a for- he's, a formal statement is coming out, but basically he's. It, it's, I think he's inclined to dismiss the case with prejudice, meaning that it's just dismissed and they can't even appeal. Like you're done. Don't even don't bring this back. But now, who, so Oracle is spiking it or Apple is spiking it? This is Apple. This is Apple versus Google, and this the judge is spiking it. Say you know you would you you're unable to show. Neither side has been able to show that there's been any harm from the, from infringing the other's patents. So you're done. Like this is not this isn't without merit because I mean you patent infringing. But what do you mean by spiking? Like is it is it is he spiking it in favor of one side or the other, or is he spiking it just in his own favor? Like you know when you spike something, it's like it's you're he's killing it. It's killing the case. It can't be brought to trial. Oh, I see. Okay, because we think of spiking as like spiking a drink. It's like giving someone a drug that they're not aware of. No, I just heard this the other day that the term comes from like when you spike a story, I guess in like newspapers, when they put a story that where they decided they weren't going to run, someone had written, they'd put it on like this, there's like a metal like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Another thing you mean, yeah. So they spike it. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, but that's really a, a good deal. Um, now, why is that a good deal? Because it just shows how kind of stupid uh, this trying to, trying to patent software is. Yeah, I think I right, and all these big companies buying up these billion-dollar patents and suing each other and trying to basically um, creating this moat that like smaller companies just can't compete because of all these ridiculous patents and they can't. And it's just it's, it's anti-innovation. It it actually it's as as this judge put it was said that it's just it's just not in the public's interest. This is not in any way help the public at all. This is as a, as a, as a as a society, this is just bad. Well, I bet they weren't expecting that. No, <laughs> there's been no response from either company yet. But uh, <laughs> I think and there was another judge I read about about the Oracle, um, K- Oracle suing. Um, what was it? Google about yeah. the Android and, and Java thing, and the and the and the, and the judge basically d- uh, decided in favor of uh, Google. So this is ridiculous. So this is good. I, the, at least the courts are kind of coming in and, and doing some good things, and um, in terms of the patents, um, the patent situation. Um, but you know, probably not on the smaller scale. I mean, the patent trolls. I don't know if they're, they're. I don't know what's been going on there. But at least with the really big, high-profile cases, you know, with the the tech titans, it seems to be some common sense is being injected into it. But the other one I, that was interesting was um, another. A federal judge um, banned the uh, the indefinite detention of Americans from that was a clause in the uh, NDAA. Hmm. Did you hear about that? Nope. You remember me talking about the NDA? Everybody was all arms about SOPA, and I said, "Well, the NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act, which passed right at the end of 2011, um, part of it basically said that the U.S. government could detain an American indefinitely without bringing him to trial. Basically, mm-hmm. throw him like you know, we're, we don't have to have to show that we have evidence against you. We don't have to charge you anything, and we could just throw you in Guantanamo or wherever. So that's been overthrown. 
Yeah, the judges said that's just not constitutional. She can't do it, which is great Good. because sister is just. I mean, that's that's just. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, you just can't get much worse than that. You're passing laws like that. I mean, Obama actually, you know, he actually signed some executive order saying that he personally would never do that. But that's just crap because okay, so then you're, once you're off out of office, you signed in this law. Mm-hmm. So who's the guy, next guy that comes, or the guy after that, or the yeah after M- that Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney or, you know, or, you know, or uh, Clinton or whoever the next, you know, come comes down the line or two, two or three, you know, terms from now. Without, dis- without getting into it, discussing it too much, who would be your bet to win the next election, Romney or Obama, without I getting into any detail? Win by a hair of Romney. But to me, I think they're, I think it's six, one, half dozen, the other. I, don't, I think there's kind of, I don't know if there's minor differences in really what's going to happen. I mean, so you're thinking that it's just going to swing the other way. It's going to swing Republican. No, I think I think I think Obama will hold on, but barely. Oh, I see. Okay, I think it'll be close. But I'm just saying I don't think there's much difference in their policies. I think it's more about you know what people think of them. But I think they're. I think if you went down the line and you say, well, what's the substantive differences in how they're going to deal with foreign policy or how they're going to deal with uh, the taxes or how they're going to deal with uh, you know anything? I think it's you know stuff stuff like this. I think it's kind of. All right. No, I'm, I was just curious. I didn't want to get too much into the politics of it, but I was just curious to hear what you think. I, I, I kind of think the same thing, actually. I think Obama's probably going to get through with a, just by a, uh, a cat's whisker. <laughs> yeah. So let's, um, let's go to, uh, let's talk um, Prometheus. Okay, because I've got some things to say about this. Okay, first thing, so, all right, this is the last final warning. We're going to talk Prometheus. If you haven't seen the movie and you don't want it ruined, uh, this is, turn us off now. <laughs> Okay. Five, so let me four, just start three, two, one. Okay. Okay. Let me just start by. Uh, obviously, it's it's a visually stunning film. It's it's beautiful, right? But what what I want to talk about, and Georgie was really making fun of me about this. I want to talk about the inconsistencies of the technology portrayed. Okay. Because, and this is probably a different point that, that you're going to make, but they have that. The, <laughs> there's first of all, it's only eighty years in the future. But the technology is way more advanced than that in some cases. Like, so they have this rope, they have a robot that's like data that's basically absolutely perfectly human in every possible way. Like data from Star Trek. Like data from Star Trek. But then they have, an, they have this chamber that can do operations on you. And this has a funfair grabber. <laughs> has a funfair grabber as its main operational instrument. <laughs> Did you notice that? Oh, fun for grabbing like those little machines you pay and it grabs yeah. like a yeah, little. Yeah, it grabs the little fluffy toys and you move them left and right. <laughs> Did you yeah. notice that? The, the, the like they this this incredibly dexterous, perfectly human-like robot versus this funfair grabber kind of operational machinery. It's yeah, like it was kind of funny. That was a mismatch, right? That's that's a big mismatch, and then. <laughs> And then it goes and it staples her stomach shut. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Just the okay. thing. Actually, staples have been shown to be um, better in a lot of cases than um, stitches. Did you know that? Right. I, 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 I actually did. But, but you would think that if they have this one level of technology where you can create a perfect humanoid, you would think that the operational technology would be slightly better. So it was just a little bit of a mismatch. It just made me laugh. That was all. They could 
create some kind of a laser thing it would, would kind of like super fast generating tissue that they would like spray onto your skin and which like generate your tissue and accelerated tissue regrowth yeah exactly so so to paint a picture for the audience like she, the, the scene is is she's got this alien baby inside her and she climbs into this um it's like a tub that anybody do- who's listening has already seen the show but yeah yeah okay anyone who's listening has already seen the show <laughs> So she climbs into the tub that's going to operate on her and take the baby out. So it uses lasers to open her up, but then it uses this funfair <laughs> grabbing arm to go and get the baby. <laughs> now, wouldn't you expect that to be something like, I don't know, like a human, like even the form of a human hand or something like that? You know, dexterous? Like a little hand. Just yeah. Like a, like a, <laughs> like a, like a thing. You, would, you would at least expect there to be a couple of hands in there, right? A little, like with light gloves. Like yeah. a, it was like, like the months, like the Adams family. Yeah, in fact, to be honest, wouldn't you expect there to be about ten hands and arms in there? That's what they would be in there. Oh, that's <laughs> not a fun fair grabber. I don't know. Well, you know, they had to do that because they had to make it like you thought the thing wasn't able to hold on to the the creepy little alien because she was like trying to get out of there. Right? Okay. The other inconsistency is so then the alien, pull the alien out, which is like this weird-looking octopus-looking thing. So she leaves the room, the door closes, and it's a completely sterile environment. Mm-hmm. Comes back later, and this alien is the size of, like, 50 foot big. Like, what? Mm. how did it grow? Like, what did it... It didn't have an amniotic sac. <laughs> it didn't have any food to eat. Like, how did it go from tiny to 50 foot with no kind of food? <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, you can see things grow quickly, but without any food, like energy, how does that happen? That's a good point. I didn't think about that. You know, so there's a couple of things that I didn't understand. Well, less about tech. Well, okay, in terms of the uneven technology. So, I mean, we're not that far away from having computer screens that are kind of like translucent like theirs. I mean, yeah. that's like five five years off. You could probably do that now if you wanted to. It looked like little windows that have like the the stuff on top of them. Minority report. Yeah, kind of thing, yeah. I, yeah, we're probably five years away from that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you're the robot, the human-like robot. I mean, that's like 500 years. I don't know. I mean, I Dave's like 500 years away. Yeah, but consider, consider one thing is, do consider how far we've got since we developed the microchip. Like how, how many years ago was the microchip invented? Yeah, well, it's when the 50s. Yeah, so we're, we're less than 100 years and we've made, would you say you know, very exponential growth, right? Yeah, well, there's certain things we've made exponential growth with, but, like, you think we landed on the moon in the 60s, and now in 70, you know, 80 years from now, we're going to be in another star system? You know? I mean, we're, gonna, we're going to... Yeah, because they, they were... Well, because they were cryogenically asleep for two years. So, even the nearest star that... I think the closest star is, like, uh, Proxima Centauri or something, which it's is... light years. Five year, five light years away. So to go, and they were safe for like two years and six months or something, eight months or something, right? Yeah. So they could have only traveled two light years max unless they were in warp. Right. So you're assuming that you're breaking this, this, the 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 galactic or the universal speed limit. So that's not going to happen. So you know what? Or at least if there's some way to travel through wormholes or that, we're like a thousand or five thousand years from that. (laughs) That's not something's going to happen in 100 years. But what we could do in maybe 100 years, we probably won't do anything close to this because of just 
you know, political, economic inertia, whatever, lack of economic uh, incentives and stuff is use advanced propulsion techniques, like certain types of nuclear propulsion to get up to like, say, 30, 40, 50 percent of the speed of light Mm -hmm. um, so that we could get to, uh, you know, we could get to Alpha, you know, Proxima Centauri in, say, 10 or 20 years. You could do something like that. Um, if, if, I mean, there was a guy, there was a really interesting thing. Did you see that thing that popped up a week ago about the guy who had talked about how to build the actual enterprise? No. <laughs> it's really cool. It was a great, it was a fun read. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I don't know. I think, so yeah, that was, I, I think, I think he should have pushed it like, you know, two or 300 years further into the future. Right. Like 300, 2400 maybe. What, what else didn't you the, understand about it? Okay, well, I'm just let's stay on the technology thing. So that was the one thing about technology. The other thing, which was, um, I, I like, did love the movie, by the way. Like, I, I just, I just, I did love it. But I just want to pick apart some of these technical things, and that's probably incredibly geeky to do. And Georgie was making a lot of fun of me about it. Like, also, the other thing is, right? Okay, they discover the reason why they went there is because of wall maps, maps on the walls. Okay. And, and, and the maps on walls showed these five stars. Mm-hmm. So just based, and, and it's just basically cave paintings, cave drawings that, they, that made them decide to go there because of these cave drawings. They found 10 cave drawings that all had the same star system. So they decided to invest millions, trillions of dollars to send this ship to the other side <laughs> five light years away. And it just so happens to land at exactly the right place where, the, you know, it's kind of oh, weird. and the entire planet, just and the entire <laughs> yeah. moon. They land yeah. on a moon, right? So they happen to land like you know, two hundred exactly meters the right place, exactly. <laughs> two hundred meters from the actual building entrance, <laughs> two hundred meters from the building entrance, and they happen to pick the right moon, the right planet of the five planets. Oh, right, because they're five. They just picked a moon. Well, they picked a moon of the planet, yeah. didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. That, of course, that was well. Okay, here's something I didn't understand. There's a couple things I was trying to understand a little bit. Um, was the uh, okay? So Dave, the robot, brings yeah. in uh, David. I guess it wasn't Dave, but I, I'm going to call him Dave. So Dave brings in. He sneaks in this that black oil, you know, which is kind of like uh, uh, harkens to like X Files. <laughs> right? So you have the black oil that yeah. kind of turned into these little snake things or something. Yeah. So it was kind of okay. Well, first of all, why did he bring that back? Okay, because you've got to understand the primary motivation, which isn't a very good one. Guy Pierce, who's playing the the old guy, yeah, he wants to get rejuvenated. He wants to be fixed. He just wants to be young again. So he's he's old. He's about to die. So that's the only he's, motivation he's got. He's right? like Pasta Pasta de Leon. He wants to the Fountain of Youth, right? So he wants the true. Fountain of Youth. So he's just saying to Dave, Dave, listen, just you know, just try out whatever you can, just whatever looks apparent, try it out. Now, I don't know why Dave had the thought in his mind, hmm, I'm going to make this guy drink this stuff. But put this black oil inside him. That's why he said, try harder to Dave. He said, Dave, try harder. Yeah, so that just seems kind of an illogical step. I didn't really get that. But okay, okay, so that, that was the... That's that was what they were using to explain that, I guess. Try harder. Okay, so here's the thing. So at the very big opening scene, you had one of the engineers. He drinks something that has this oil in it, and it just disintegrates him. Okay, so what they're saying in that opening scene is, in my understanding, and and feel free to correct me on the comments. I think that what they're saying is, is that that was the primordial event that created life on Earth millions of years ago and the beginning of evolution. 
Right. No, I know. Okay, I got that. But he, he takes the black, he drinks the black oil, right? Mm. He disintegrates immediately. And his DNA it, go into the, the water. Right. So, but you give the black oil to um, Charlie, and he takes a long time, like a day and a half, for it to affect him, right? And, and then he, then he kind of starts, he starts morphing into something kind of in slow motion. It's yeah. a much process. We have and much then, less black he, oil. Okay, but then he, but he doesn't disintegrate into something. He actually morphs into some kind of super monster. <laughs> it wasn't the same black oil. It was different? Yeah, different black oil. But it was different. His body was going through a similar, but like a slow motion. You saw his, his, his face, that turning kind of black and well, stuff. It was actually, kind of like, I mean, like, you bring up a good point. What was the actual weapon? Because basically the weapon was in all these vats that was this black oil. But when, she, when he, he drank it at the beginning, he disintegrates. When the other guy... When Dave feeds it to the other guy, he doesn't disintegrate. He turns into this weird thing that can survive a fire attack. But he then impregnates her by having sex, and she gives birth to something that looks completely different. And these things are not even related to those other weird little snake things that are running around in the black oil in the in the cave. <laughs> so yeah, so there's like five place- different types of aliens from one black oil. That's what I was under. I was getting confused about because everything was so different. Um. I, I mean, yeah, there was a thing that came out of her. There was a thing that was so, – so, okay, so he gets the black oil in him, which are these little tiny – it looked like these little tiny um, Snakes. tapeworms or something. Tapeworms, like yeah, tapeworm, that's a good way of I think it was coming yeah. I don't know, tapeworms or hookworms or something, tiny little worm. And then he starts to morph, and he, he impregnates her with this thing that looks like an octopus. The octopus comes out of her. It ends up growing into like the super octopus. 50 ends foot. up killing the engineer and then ends up – in, in impregnating him through his mouth. Yeah, he goes into the kind of, like why? What's the, then he gets impregnated, you know, kind of alien style, old school, and this thing bursts out of his stomach and looks kind of like the alien monster. Yes. Is yes. that kind of strange? I don't really understand. It was like a real roundabout. There's all these different kinds of aliens. I was losing track of all the different kind of weird alien things. So I don't know. I thought that was kind of weird. But I thought it was kind of cool when the engineer busted into like the, the, the survival habitat, the escape pod. Yeah. And, and then gets in a fight and she, she kind of releases the, the octopus monster to fight him. He was pretty damn strong. He was almost able to fight it off. Yeah. You know? Okay, here's something else. I mean, it's, it sounds like we didn't enjoy this show. I, I really did enjoy the movie, but here's something else. Dave's head is on the floor, right? Broken off. Then the spaceship flies up and goes sideways and basically crashes. But Dave's head, they go back and Dave's head's in the same place. When she's speaking to Dave at the end. Yeah, right. So Dave, <laughs> Dave was in, because... Dave was in the spaceship that crashed. Yeah, because that spaceship was where the space jockey was, right? So that, that, that round room, yeah. that was inside the spaceship because you saw yeah. the, like, the, 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 the big seat that he sits in. Right, he sits right there, right? That's where the yeah. thing takes off, right? Yeah. And Dave is there. He's sitting in that room? Yeah, he's well, not- because basically Dave tries to speak to him. He then, yeah. ch- then that guy karate chops Dave in the head. His head lands on the floor and stays in exactly the same place on the floor before the, the spaceship takes off, during the time the spaceship takes off, and then the spaceship crashes and she speaks to him and the camera goes back to Dave's head that's in the same place on the floor. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. That's a bunch of BS. Because, you know, it wasn't like it falls on the floor and it kind of rolls into some dirt that just happens to be like open part of the spaceship or something. That's just a dirt floor or something. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that doesn't make any sense. That that didn't make any sense. I mean, it was kind of like when I watched Avengers. Like I, I was reading this this funny blog post. It was like, you ever, you ever see a website cracked? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah, and and they said like, what if Avengers was much shorter and made more sense? <laughs> and they kind of went through. They like I like wrote like a like a ten. Like, what if Avengers was t- was ten minutes long and made more sense? This is what what it would be. And so they were. And it's really funny, but it shows you how stupid a lot of a lot of the things were in Avengers. Yeah. And even though I really liked Avengers, but you really can't think very deeply about it because you think about it. I mean, obviously, superheroes, of course, silly and Norse gods and Hulks and all this stuff. But even if you're going to suspend disbelief on that axis, there was lots of other stuff that was just absolutely ridiculous. So you can't think that much about it. And this is the same way. You just can't think that deeply about it because it starts to fall apart pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, you just have to be like, well, I'm just going for the ride, you know, like screw it. And, uh, I guess that's the way I, I was for the most part, just like, well, just some of the stuff isn't really making sense to me. Um, like what else, what else about it? I mean, I, I thought it was cool that they rammed the spaceship with Prometheus. Oh, I'll tell you something else that just didn't seem to make sense. So it's a trillion dollar expedition. They're all traveling across space for this really important thing. But none of them know what it is. But furthermore, yeah. not, not only that, none of them know what it is, but all the people are just like dumbasses. I mean, they're just like idiots. Like they, don't it's, even, they don't even know one another. I like think none different. of them have a PhD. None of them are like super, you know, experienced experts. Like the most expert they have are people who study cave drawings. Yeah, well, no, actually they do. They're a lot of more like the the guy with the crazy the mohawk, the crazy yeah. you know, the, the the tattoos on his head. I mean, he he was actually a geologist, but not a very convincing one. He was like a punk rock geologist or something. I mean, he was he was no Jay Schievel. No, he was not. No, I, I, <laughs> not by a long shot. No, I, I think that if. If you were going to, I mean, realistically, or not even realistic, even like semi-believably, semi-plausibly, you'd have these people training together for like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Like you would select the top, top-notch top people and they would know each other and they'd be going through training exercises and going through, you know, just, they would be working together for a year and a half, just like astronauts who go up to the space station. They would spend a huge amount of time working together and training together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, I've never met you. Like, hi, my name is Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I'm just here to make money. I don't care who you are. Okay? I'm not here to be your friend. <laughs> exactly. That's right. That's good. Like, could you imitate his accent? I want to hear your. I want to hear no, your no. Come on, you could do. You could do accents well. He was like. He was like. I'm not here to be your friend. <laughs> That's good. That's awesome. I like that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I thought that was really stupid. I was like, give me a break. These people don't. Yeah, I had the same thought you did when when they were all sitting there and nobody knew why they were going. Nobody knew each other. Nobody. It was just like, what the hell? Is also, going? also, okay, not to keep picking holes, but mm-hmm. he is the most rich man in the world, Guy Pierce, mm-hmm. and they're all up there. And the big shock is that she says, "No, I don't believe you, Father." And it's like the big shock that she's really his daughter. Like, how would no one else know that? How would that be a secret? <laughs> like, she's daughter of the richest person in the world. Peter Whalen, right? It's Whalen, right? The Whalen Corporation yeah, is Peter Whalen. Yeah. yeah. Well, see, the thing was, is like, she's like, she's this very sort of aloof character. And she says, well, you're just employees. Like, you're not in charge. I'm in charge. But she never says, oh, by the way, I'm the daughter yeah. of Whalen. Like, she never even pulls rank. She just says, well, I'm the corporation. You're just an employee. She's like, oh, I'm the owner. <laughs> I own this company. You know, my dad's dead, you know, or my dad is incapacitated. I run Whalen Corporation. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, because she was very much like I, wanting to be in control of the situation. So why would she just pull out the trump card? Why she beat around the bush? Did you see um, Snow White and the Huntsman? No, I haven't. Uh-uh. That was actually a good movie. <laughs> it was good. Um, she she gave a fantastic performance in that movie. You know, I read. Um, I was just I was just reading on uh, Wikipedia about Prometheus. I went. I wanted to reread the plot line, and uh, it turns out that. Um, Oh, what's her name? What's what's the actor, actor, actress's name? Uh, Charlie Charlie Theron. Charlie Theron. Charlie Theron. Yeah, she was actually supposed to play the main uh, character, the main uh, female cave painting ar- um, archaeologist. But oh, she, right. she was apparently on set with. She had already had obligations to do uh, Mad Max Four. Okay, so we that to look. We have that to look forward to. Oh, awesome! <laughs> but uh, yeah, so she was supposed to play a bigger role, but then they brought her and they found they gave her the smaller role, and they, you know. But um, I mean, one thing about me, the one problem with for me was that it just it was too similar in a lot of ways uh, to um, to Alien. It was kind of a mix between Alien and Aliens. Right. So you know, we we go, we land on this planet, we find holy crap. There's a bunch. There's something. It's a tomb. Oh, holy crap, some things are alive. Oh, holy crap, these things are going to, you know, climb into us and kill us. And, you know, oh, there's this robot who goes and and, and at the bidding of the corporation, the, uh, the faceless corporation goes and grabs the, wants to bring home or bring into the ship the alien, which then is what partially causes the problems. And, uh, and then at the end, every, the, everything gets exploded and there's one survivor and it's the female survivor female lead is it kind of similar but it also doesn't make sense that that old guy yes yes it is kind of similar it's the same story like that that is both of them follow that same story and and and, uh it's uh it's a little more it's a little more aliens in the sense that there were probably more people involved kind of like aliens but no it's really more like it. it was just it was the alien story kind of reframed a little bit but the other thing is why would he the richest guy in the world the billionaire very clever guy trillionaire trillionaire say yeah because normally you tell me off for saying billion and i'm being too exaggerating too much in in this case it's billions not enough okay trillion um why would he say oh no the only thing i want to do is to go and speak to that big guy who could easily chop me in half like why is that the only thing he's going to do why wouldn't he send in his cronies to go in and speak to him why does he say oh the only thing i want to do now is go and speak to him like as if somehow that's going to make him young yeah, you'd think that let's establish a little bit of a relationship let's, with this guy. <laughs> let's people. get a rapport. Let's have a feel around. Let's see what he's like. You know, is he is he violent? Or is he right. good to talk to? Is he a good is he a good mate? Is he a good bloke? I mean, yeah. I guess you could say he felt like he was dead, like he had a matter of, you know, weeks or months left to live at most. And so he's like, screw it, I'm just gonna go right now. But I, I think you're right. I think you'd at least could wait a day or two and let them go in and talk to the guy and or or see if they're or more than one guy and because uh, there were more than one in their hypersleep right or was he the only one and why would that those aliens <laughs> why, why would they just chop your head off straight away without at least having a couple of words <laughs> yeah he yeah he, well they were he was huge wasn't he he was huge but like, why you know sure like he he knows that he's responsible for the creation of mankind wouldn't he at least say hello all right how you doing mate uh, nice to see you good creation now I'm going to chop you right off. I'm not here to be your friend. Let's do that. Let's do that at the accent again. Yeah. I'm not here to right. be your friend. Yeah, that's what he should have said. 
<laughs> I'm here to kill you. I, yeah, I don't know. It didn't make a lot of sense. He's just going to just kill them all right there. And I'm heading straight to Earth as fast as I can to kill. I, mean, I don't understand what the whole, I'm going to wipe out Earth. I mean, why, yeah, because also, why, why did the original guy go there and create the primordial soup that created the beginning of mankind? Why? What was the point of that? Why did he go to the... Pr- why was that? What was the point of the opening scene? Why did that race that so easily just chopped our head off, why did that race create The engineers. Mankind? They're called the engineers. Why did the engineers do that in the first place, drink that fluid and disintegrate into the sea to become the beginning of evolution? Well, maybe he was set up, that one guy. They, well, there was one guy was left. He was, he was left behind, and they just said, hey, let's, let's poison Ralph. Screw him. <laughs> like, oh, so it was an accident. So, so basically, they didn't mean to start evolution. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they're like, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just one dude. Let's call him Ralph. Ralph is left on Earth. He reminds me of so- Ralph, the guy from, <laughs> from the breakfast show <laughs> in Los Angeles anyway. Uh, so yeah. Ralph drinks the black stuff, explodes, disintegrates and explodes, and then becomes the basics, basis for evolution or at least for theoretically human evolution, but not really human evolution. These humans are him. But then, of course, how do humans just... You have a complete human DNA strand, and then it starts evolution over at amoebas, and then it ends up at the exact same place, so the DNA is exact. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. It just ends up you've in now the made me, you've, This discussion has made me hate this film. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just don't understand how it ends up. It follows the exact same random walk. Okay. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. All right. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's funny. You just can't ask questions. You just watch it. It's like, it's like going to Disneyland. You don't ask questions. You just get on the damn ride. You know? I think it would actually make a great podcast. Like, do one film each podcast. We- just pick the crap out of it. Pick <laughs> the crap critique. out of it. Yeah. <laughs> the Critique. La Critique is yeah. a show, and it's just a, it's just a movie. Show you just could do totally- it for all sorts of movies. I mean, it doesn't have to be science fiction. It could be anything. Like, loads of movies it, well- just make no sense. No, you know, it'd be more fun if it was like, it was sort of like the sci-fi comic book kind of stuff like this. Yeah. You know, that genre. Um, and, uh, you know, fantasy sci-fi, what, adventure stuff. Yeah. That'd be fun. A critique, just rip them apart. Yeah, that would be. Or just add, not even rip them apart, just ask questions. So how did this happen exactly? Why? Is, <laughs> how does this guy know this? <laughs> like, like, is he omniscient or something? I mean, how the hell? I don't know. I'm trying to think what else. Is, well, see, I, what I don't understand, the cave paintings. So who made the cave paintings? Well, exactly. Because, because those big guys, whenever they're near you, they kill you, right? So the engineers just kill you. So they're not going to say to someone, this is where we're from. This is where we live. Well, well, based at least from my understanding, he if he's the basis for evolution, then he died hundreds of thousands, millions, hundreds of millions of years, billions of years before humans were around. Yes. Or were there other animals around? Like, or is 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 it to say that it was only like five thousand years ago, and he, there were and there were just no humans, there were primates, and everything else, and he just died, and his DNA was in, and somehow like a human just popped out of the ocean, like a I single. Like a single baby based on the DNA? That doesn't make any sense. No. Right? He's not some mystical being where, you know, it's like a, you know, a, 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 a like a Norse mythology, a Greek mythology where like all these different children spawn from him. You know, it's like, so this DNA is floating around the water and then all of a sudden a baby pops out of the water like nine months later. 
living now, in the street. See, it's it's it's. And then you're just and then you're stuck with one baby. <laughs> I mean, what was the name of that that Leonardo DiCaprio movie uh, where there was all the different time frames and it was about dreaming? Oh, God, what was it? Um, uh, like Inception. That. Inception, like that, basically made more sense and hung together better than this. Yeah, this is like they weren't even trying. They're like, oh, let's see some cave paintings. So, okay, so here's the question I have about the cave paintings. And I, I, I don't... <laughs> Come on, we better wrap this up soon. Okay, well, who made the cave paintings? Well, I, I guess, I guess what they're saying is, is that the, the, the memory retained in the DNA, or maybe, maybe they're saying there's some kind of, like I told you, the Akashic record, like the, 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 the universal subconscious that we all tap into. And because we're all from the same DNA, we can remember and we can paint the star system of where we're so from. Much bullshit. I can't even believe it. Okay. Let's, yeah. Okay. That's just total bullshit. That's not even, that's, that's, okay. So what you're saying is, okay. So, because that's not what they said. And no. that's even, that doesn't even make any sense. So, okay. What you're saying is, so somebody made the DNA paint, I mean, the paintings of the five planets, right? Or five stars. A lot of people right? did in 12 different caves. Okay. But it wasn't the engineers who made those, right? Because why would the engineers draw these really weird-looking paintings like they were like children? I mean, they have advanced technology. George just make- walked in. She's so frustrated with me right now because we had this whole discussion about Prometheus, and now well, she's listening to it again. <laughs> well, but the engineers <laughs> could have made awesome-looking records that would have been nearly permanent into stone, right? They would have made these kind of ridiculous third-grade paintings of the stars, of the star system. Was it five stars or five planets? I forget. I guess it doesn't matter. But it wasn't the humans, so why? Mm-hmm. Because if the humans were around, they weren't around when the engineers were around, right? Yeah. But they're saying the, the, the humans made it, and, and these different il- civilizations are all around the world. I, I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. Unless, unless I'm missing something. I we, could be missing something. We Maybe obviously have to wrap this up. We've been going on too long about this. You're, you're, are you, is, is, you mean Georgie is sick of it? <laughs> no, no. No, the listeners are sick of it. I promise. All right, all right. Well, we'll... Uh, yeah, maybe we'll get some comments. Maybe some people can explain. Maybe there, there might be some ex- better explanations that we just missed for some of this stuff. Okay. Especially about the cave paintings and the evolution. But. All right, that's a wrap. We're out. <laughs>